Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The FT. Welcome to the FT Big Read, a weekly podcast featuring the best of our long-form reporting from around the world. I'm Anna Dedder from the Comment and Analysis Desk of the Financial Times. This week, Polita Clark reports on the progress made in carbon capture, the technology that is being developed to deal with CO2 emissions. The International Energy Agency says $4 trillion would be needed for carbon capture schemes to meet the world's 2 degrees Celsius climate goal between now and 2050. But Polita finds that although $30 billion has been committed or spent so far, the sector has fallen short of expectations. Today, it's just a scrubby field next to the enormous Drax coal and wood pellet power station in the English county of North Yorkshire. But in a matter of months, this could be the spot where the UK finally gives the go-ahead for what's become one of the world's most perplexing tools in the quest to combat climate change, a carbon capture and storage plant. The stubbly ground would make way for a jumble of pipes and tanks that would trap carbon dioxide from a new coal power station and pipe it out to be stashed deep below the North Sea before it has a chance to warm the atmosphere. At least that's the plan. In practice, no one is holding their breath given the troubled history of carbon capture. Few technologies have had so much money thrown at them for so many years by so many governments and companies with such feeble results. Even Peter Emery, the Drax board member chairing the consortium behind the North Yorkshire project, balks at predicting that it will definitely go ahead. I think there's a very good chance it will, but it's complicated and it's difficult, and that's why it's not happened, he says, as he sketches a diagram on a whiteboard in a nearby office to show how the plant would operate. Yet, as the focus on global warming intensifies ahead of the UN climate change accord due to be struck in Paris in December, companies are facing pressure to build hundreds and possibly thousands of carbon-capturing plants. On paper, the concept looks simple enough, and scientifically, the case is compelling. But the big question is... Who's going to pick up the bill? Power generators contribute more to global warming than any other industry. More than 20% of the world's electricity comes from natural gas plants and 41% from coal power stations that pump out twice as much carbon dioxide. CO2 is the most prevalent, long-lasting greenhouse gas, and so much of it has built up in the atmosphere since fossil fuel burning began in earnest after the Industrial Revolution that those of us alive today are the first Homo sapiens to breathe in air with carbon dioxide levels of 400 parts per million, up from 275 parts per million before the Industrial Revolution. Scientists say the increase has been enough to raise global average temperatures by nearly one degree Celsius from pre-industrial times, melting glaciers and pushing up sea levels. Countries agreed at UN climate talks five years ago that temperatures shouldn't rise by more than two degrees Celsius, an aim the Paris Climate Agreement is supposed to deliver. Warming above that level raises the risk of, quote, severe, pervasive and irreversible damage, according to the latest report from the UN's Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. That report also suggested that to have a reasonable chance of meeting the two-degree target, CO2 emissions from burning fossil fuels, especially coal, 
should fall dramatically by the 2050s and virtually cease by the end of the century. But those emissions have roughly doubled in the past 40 years as China and other countries have industrialised and they're expected to keep growing. With coal so cheap and abundant and energy so vital to development, another crop of fast-growing countries, including Vietnam and Indonesia, are driving what one recent study called a global coal renaissance. A coal power plant typically operates for at least 30 years, so countries racing to build them are locking in decades' worth of emissions. Gas plants are cleaner, but they still produce a lot of CO2. So against that background, building power plants with carbon capture and storage, which is commonly known as CCS, has become something of a holy grail since the concept first emerged in the 1990s. Leaders of the world's largest fossil fuel companies speak regularly of what Ben van Burden, the chief executive of Royal Dutch Shell, calls, quote, the real game-changer of power plants with CCS. And many of the models that scientists use to show how the world can avoid climate change are based on the assumption that CCS will be widespread from 2050. In fact, because countries have been slow to curb their emissions, the models are based on an even more radical use of the technology, according to Nicholas Hone, a lead author of the latest IPCC report. He says that, quote, instead of adding CCS to a normal coal plant, the models assume the technologies will have to be used on a power station burning wood or other plants in order to produce so-called negative carbon emissions. In other words, we would need to grow crops that suck CO2 from the air, then burn them to generate electricity and store the resulting gases so there's less CO2 in the atmosphere overall. The Drax project could turn out to be the world's first such plant. The company has already started converting its existing power station, the biggest in the UK, so that it can burn wood pellets as well as coal. And the new CCS plant planned for its neighbouring field has been designed to burn coal but could eventually be reconfigured to burn wood as well. But whether such use could ever become widespread is far from clear. Setting aside the question of whether the world has enough suitable land to grow crops for electricity as well as food, efforts to get CCS up and running on conventional power plants have been woeful. Over the past 14 years, governments have announced a total of $24 billion in funding commitments for carbon capture and storage projects, according to the Bloomberg New Energy Finance research firm. Companies have spent at least $9.5 billion since 2005, says the International Energy Agency. Not all that money has gone to power stations. Shell, for example, is building a system to capture CO2 from an Alberta oil sands project in Canada. But to date, there's just one carbon capture system in commercial operation at a power station, the Boundary Dam coal plant that Canada's Sask Power Utility opened last year. Two others in the US are supposed to start next year, including one in Mississippi that was scheduled to begin operating in 2013 and has a $6.2 billion price tag. At least 33 other power plant CCS ventures have been scrapped or mothballed in the past five years, according to the Australian-based Global Carbon Capture and Storage Institute. They include one in Scotland that was due to open last year, a Canadian scheme scheduled to start this year, and a string of others across Europe and the US. Brad Page, the Institute's chief executive, says this is to be expected. He argues that the industry's failure rate is similar to that of other conventional commercial projects. But it's far from clear if CCS systems actually have a business case. Many of the failed projects died because the government funding for them faded amid economic downturns or because of competing budgetary or political pressures. President George Bush was still in the White House when he declared that a CCS project in Illinois 
called FutureGen, would become the first clean coal power plant by 2012. But its federal funding was suspended this year, leaving the project's fate in the balance. In the UK, more than a dozen schemes have already been scrapped. Carbon capturing technology is not regarded as the problem. Equipment to capture CO2 has been used for decades in the chemical and oil industries, where the gas is sometimes a byproduct. But figuring out how to adapt it for use with a power station is complicated, and building it costly. A sizable coal plant without carbon capture might cost $1.4 billion to build, but adding CCS adds about another $1 billion, according to recent research from the US Energy Department. On top of that, some of the electricity the plant generates, which is the main source of income for the owner, has to be diverted to run the carbon capture system. The upshot is a lot more money for a less efficient power plant. And this is why government funding has been so important to get CCS to this point. But the fickle nature of this backing makes it hard to imagine a flourishing future for the technology. As recently as 2009, the International Energy Agency, which advises governments on energy policy, suggested that about 100 CCS projects should be operating worldwide by 2020 and 3,400 by 2050, including big industrial plants that emit large quantities of CO2, not just power stations. It has since scaled back its numbers to 30 projects by 2020, and there are currently 22 large-scale CCS plants operating or under construction, according to the Global CCS Institute. But only three are on power stations. The other 19 are capturing carbon dioxide from plants used for natural gas processing, fertiliser production or other industrial activities. The Boundary Dam plant in Canada has found one way around the funding problem. It did receive $240 million Canadian dollars in federal government support, but it's also signed a 10-year contract to sell its captured CO2 so the gas can be pumped into nearby ageing oil fields to boost waning recovery rates, a process known as enhanced oil recovery. But using captured CO2 to produce more oil, which then produces more CO2 when it's burnt, is hardly the ideal way to tackle climate change. And those that can't use an oil field or the North Sea to bury CO2 also face the public opposition that early European CCS projects faced from people fearful of living near stores of buried carbon dioxide. And then there's the money question. As much as $4 trillion would be needed for CCS projects to meet the world's two-degree climate goal between now and 2050, according to the IEA. But it's estimated those costs could be considerably higher without CCS because it would mean scrapping many existing power stations and building new low-carbon replacements, such as wind farms. So what are the options? A reasonably high price on CO2 pollution could make CCS more financially attractive. But that's a distant prospect in many countries. Even in the EU's carbon market, the largest in the world, prices have wallowed below €10 a tonne of emitted carbon for most of the past three years. Because carbon-capturing systems are a climate measure that keeps fossil fuel companies in business, some supporters of the technology have started to argue the industry should bear the cost of building them. Stuart Hazeldean, Professor of Carbon Capture and Storage at the University of Edinburgh, says, There's a global failure of political arithmetic on this problem. A way through this logjam is to require an amount of carbon storage by carbon extractors. Coal, gas and oil companies have to be required to store some fraction of what they produce. The coal industry, however, says governments should back CCS as generously as it claims renewable sources of power have been treated. Benjamin Sporton, chief executive of the World Coal Association, says, In the last 10 years, 
$2 trillion has been spent on renewable technologies and only 1% of this has been on CCS. What we need is a genuine commitment from government to support all low-emission technologies equally. That's when we'll begin to see real progress on CCS. But others question whether subsidies are really the answer. Professor Miles Allen of Oxford University says, As long as CCS plants are built on the Apollo program principle of unlimited public subsidies, they will remain prohibitively expensive. He thinks CCS should become a cost of doing business with fossil fuels, like the requirement to use double-hulled tankers to ship oil. And he points to the CCS facility that's part of the huge Gorgon natural gas project that Chevron is building with ExxonMobil and Shell in the north of Western Australia. He says, It's been built with very little subsidy simply because the West Australian government made it a licensing requirement for the exploitation of a particularly lucrative gas reserve. Ultimately, says Mr Amory of Drax, fossil fuels are so cheap and so plentiful that it makes sense to keep using them if it's possible to deal with the carbon dioxide problem. As he puts it, we think CCS could be very low cost and the one thing the world needs is low cost sources of energy. For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. 